0: Welcome to the Practically Theologians podcast, where we attempt to make theology practical. Thank you for joining us on our first episode. We're excited to be launching this on Reformation Day 2018. What
1: sets the Bible apart, if I could just play devil's advocate, what sets the Bible apart from maybe other holy books, like say the
0: the Quran where, where... Just a quick uh, comment. Could we just call you Bob's advocate? Let's just say there's <laughs> Muhammad Bob out there. Yeah. All right.
2: Go ahead, someone else. This will advocate on a That's
3: Christian a- podcast. I- All right.
2: All right. Thank you for joining us for podcast number one. We are recording at San de Cristo Seminary, located in the beautiful San de Cristo mountain range. And we're really excited to be kicking off our podcast today. I'm Andrew, and I'm here with Nikki, Josh, Ferris, and Tom. And we are all students of San de Cristo Seminary. And Why don't we just go around the, the table here and explain a little bit about ourselves and why we are here at seminary. Nikki, we can start with you.
1: Yeah, so uh, 25 and uh, in life and uh, in my studies here at seminary, but I want to uh, share the gospel in places that it hasn't been yet in the world, uh, potentially in the 1040 window, and uh, what I'd, I'd be hoped to be doing when I'm done.
0: What is a 1040 window? That is a window,
1: I think, about 90% of the unreached people are in the All right. world. All right, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> for us,
0: ignorance 10 degrees latitude, 40 <laughs> degrees longitude, or something. Um, I'm Josh. I'm here because I wanted to learn and possibly become a pastor someday, maybe. Uh, I have six kids and I'm 37. Nikki said his age. And uh, I'm a latecomer. I've been new to Reformed theology for nine years. Uh, but I grew up in the church, so I knew. I'd say Reformed theology is nothing more than uh, expositing the Bible further than what we usually see nowadays, not to put anybody down. but So that's why I'm here at seminary, is to learn how to teach people how to read the scripture and see what's actually there.
2: And how long have you been at the seminary?
0: I've been here for a long four or five months. Two more years to go. It makes it. You guys make it long. <laughs>
3: <laughs> First, well, I'm my name's Ferris, and I'm from Western South Dakota. I've been here just as long as Nikki and Josh have. I'm here with my wife, Danette, and my main goal is hopefully to go back to more rural settings, a very very small population, farm and ranch communities and the like, and uh, function as a pastor there with the idea of reaching out to a lot of the more remote places that do not have pastors through the the church membership that lives out in those places.
4: Tom? And uh, my name is Tom. I'm in my second year here at the seminary. Uh, my wife and I have four children. And my hope is to serve as a pastor as well uh, with a particular focus on um, potentially being a part of a ministry that where we could raise up and send uh, missionaries um, within the United States and abroad. Um, that's something I'm really passionate about.
2: All right, and like I said, my name Andrew, and I'm in my second year at seminary here at San de Cristo also, and I have a wife and three kids, one on the way. And uh, I want to ask before we get started, um, we've been talking a little bit about the seminary, um, what brought you guys to Sangre de Cristo.
0: First of all, uh, let me mention it's in Colorado, in uh, southern middle Colorado. And I'm from Washington State. So it was a fair drive, but what brought me here was um, focus on biblical languages as well as the schedule, which is seven months here uh, at, at the seminary and five months off, which allowed me to work while I was here. Plus, it's a solid seminary.
1: Yeah, pretty much the same thing. I uh, like that half the curriculum is teaching, preaching, and uh, languages of the scriptures. Um, and I also liked how small it was, that it wasn't a seminary with a few, perhaps even a couple thousand kids or adults, uh, but that it uh, is about 10 people or so that we have in our, our classroom.
2: So lots of really tight communities. And you've, you guys, uh, Ferris, Josh, and Nikki, you have been here for, you said, about five months. Uh, what, Ferris, what are your thoughts so far? on the seminary and the curriculum and uh, the way everything is is playing out.
3: I really enjoyed the tight relationships we're able to have with our professors. Um, It just seems like, you know, at a larger seminary, they might not be as available. Um, And it's been really great to live right next to uh, the president, Andrew Zeller, and his family, and just really have a lot of good examples of of, um, you know, how to, how to live life, you know,
2: Tom, you want to give us a little bit of information on, um, the, uh, director or professor of the Greek exegesis class that we're taking, Dr. Dwight Zeller.
4: <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Dr. Dwight Zeller is a, uh, a wonderful godly man who I believe just turned 89 years old. Yep. And you would never know it, he still has more energy than most of us students have. Um, He's been a faithful man of the Word. And uh, what I really love about him is that although he's grown in a lot of knowledge and had a lot of academic success and experience, he always is focused on the right things and uh, really wanting to apply the Word of God to the hearts of the students and to teach the students how to faithfully handle those scriptures for the benefit of God's church. And I just think that's a good example to have.
2: Not to mention that we're recording this in a cabin on the campus of the Sanger de Cristo Seminary. And this is a cabin that uh, Dr. Dwight built um, yes. by hand uh, in the 1970s, along with all the other buildings that are on campus. So um, he has invested himself physically, emotionally, mentally, um, completely in the seminary. So we are very blessed and honored to be able to learn from him still. And then also his son that Ferris brought up, Dr. Andrew Zeller. Uh, so, Josh, why don't you take a little bit of time and explain what we expect or hope to accomplish from this podcast, um, some of the things we hope to get out of it, and uh, what our goals are.
0: Yeah, I'd say um, we thought it would be neat to try to make a podcast that kind of uh, targeted seminary students or those who are going into ministry, to give them sort of a breakdown of what we're learning and thinking, and just to maybe different ways of thinking about. And then, of course, for the Christian uh, hopefully what we say is also useful uh, at large and maybe for the non-Christian, if you're listening, hopefully what we say is intriguing and check it out. You'll find if you seek God, you will find him.
2: Awesome. Yes, yeah, so I think that pretty much sums up what the goal is for uh, for those of us around this table. Uh, as seminary students, we've been taking a class in hermeneutics and the book that we're working through Is called Let the Reader Understand by Dan McCartney and Charles Clayton, and it's called A Guide to Interpreting and Applying the Bible. Uh, So why uh, why do you guys think it's good for us to start with an initial podcast um, series that's going to go through uh, understanding, interpreting, and applying the Bible in a proper manner? Because. (laughs) Because is a good good answer, but let's go a little bit deeper than that.
4: Well... God's revelation to us is the foundation of our understanding. Um, that is the definition for for us of what truth is. What God says is what's, what is true. Um, what God has created, how God has structured, how God has ordered, what God has promised. And I think that we tend to come to um, as young believers. We tend to come to things based on our own perceptions of reality as truth, rather than in submission to what God has revealed. As truth, and so this book is really helpful, and it's it's causing us to think through how do we come to a real and clear and applicable understanding of reality? And the primary answer is through coming to know God, um, through learning from His Word. And there's a, there's a right way to learn the truths in the Bible, and there's a wrong way. And by the wrong way, what I mean is there's a way to make the Bible say what you think or want it to say. And there's a way to humbly seek after what it truly does say. And I think this book helps us learn how to do that well.
2: Awesome. Uh, So this book that we're going through, that we're working through in the hermeneutics class is going to serve as the framework for a series of podcasts that we're going to be doing as we work through uh, kind of some of the different chapters that uh, McCartney and Clayton have laid out for us. And uh, we're going to begin today with discussing a little bit more about what Tom was talking about uh, as far as the idea of truth. Uh, just over 2,000 years ago when Christ was about to be crucified, Pilate asked the question, what is truth? Uh, so, Ferris, can you give us a little bit more, uh, just some of your thoughts on how do we define truth today? How do we do it from a Christian perspective or a Christian worldview? And what are some of the um, difficulties with a worldview that is not Christian when you try to define truth?
3: See that... <clears throat> Jesus Christ presents himself in the scriptures as the truth. And we find that the nature of truth flows from him. He is the creator of all things. All things in him find their purpose. All things in him find their order, their definition. Um, Typically, you know, the world has approached truth in terms of its own experiences, uh, what what can I gather from what I have experienced in this world? And then that is what is viewed as solid. And through the ages, we have really gone through different transitions where man recognized that there must be a spiritual realm. As it says in Romans 1, God has written those things on his heart. Um, he's written his law in eternity. And everyone knows that there is a God. But instead of receiving his revelation from from him, uh, we've sought to establish those things through human philosophy rather than seeking him and not that philosophy is a as a bad tool it's a good tool if it's used rightly um, but but I guess the main difference between the Christian philosophy of truth and knowledge and the the secular philosophy of truth and knowledge is that the the Christian receives truth as as the reality that God has revealed in the world concerning himself and everyone else wants to establish, well, what can I experience? Well, then Kant comes along and, um, in the 18th century and recognizes that we can't experience anything in the, um, spiritual realm. And so he says that we can't know anything in there. So since then, um, we've either, excluded faith as as being at all intelligent or have just said oh it's a matter of faith let everybody believe what they want because we can't penetrate into that realm and and so you know that's that's kind of the what we're looking at today mm-hmm. i think that answers your question, yeah actually, maybe yeah. okay
1: yeah and just to give a little uh guess, like summation of one uh point that you're trying to uh, that you're making is that christianity sets a standard where the world doesn't have a standard to go to uh, we base everything in our reality, uh, physical and uh, spiritual, um, on this on the scriptures. And what God says and declares is truthful, where the world is searching for truth by its own uh, standard, by what man says and deems in his own heart and mind, as this is what's true and this is what's not, because I'm saying that it's true. And we're, when, we, when we step away from God as the author of truth, we place us... Uh, in the seat of God, declaring what is right and wrong,
2: truth and untruthful. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that you guys are hitting on something that uh, we read in the book also about presuppositions. Uh, so presuppositions play a big role in why we think the way that we do. They're kind of, they're foundational. They're the foundation to um, that we build on when we put our thoughts together regarding uh, uh, what we think is truth. Does truth exist? uh so can who can explain a little bit about what what do we mean by presuppositions and why are they so important uh in forming our worldview?
4: Well, uh that's a tough thing to to really um, fully explain it's a It's a complex concept, and yet at the same time there's some simplicity to it and so what I would point out is that a presupposition is something that you presuppose before you even enter a situation, before you try to understand a situation there are certain assumptions that you come to that situation with assumptions about what is real, what is true, what's valuable or invalid or not valued. Um, and we all develop those, I think from our, uh, our human experiences, our life, what we're exposed to uh, education, all those kinds of things can play a factor into what we then determine to be um, presupposed foundational truths. Um, the problem is uh, in my opinion, that, uh, the presupposition behind all the presuppositions, if you will, for a fallen sinful human being is that the ultimate determining factor of what is true is what I perceive to be true. And where the Christian, um, where God wants to grow the Christian, not every Christian is necessarily there and, and certainly none of us are all the way there, but what God wants to grow in the Christian is a is a new presupposition or a new foundational belief that what is ultimately true is not what I perceive or what I feel or what I think, but what God says. Um, and I think that's kind of the main, uh, point of, te- <clears throat> of tension in the discussion, um, that often we come to when we talk about some of the philosophical reasoning that, um, Ferris was bringing up as well as considering some of the, the things put forth in the book.
3: Um, Maybe it'd be good to, you know, we we've said some really good things, but maybe just to lay down a simple, like two word, mm-hmm. uh, definition of truth. Sure, it's just simply that which corresponds with reality. Would everyone agree? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. So the the question then becomes, um, how do we how do we understand that reality, or how do we define that reality? Right. Right. Uh, but you're right. The the definition of truth would be um, what that which corresponds to reality. Yeah. And then and then the disagreement could be. Uh, how do we understand what is real? What is, what is reality? Is it spiritual? Uh, is it only physical? Is it a spiritual realm that is outside of man that man could never um, understand or, um, or receive truth from? So that kind of brings us into the next uh, the next topic that I'd like to talk about. Uh, we've talked about this truth uh, and the presuppositions that we have as Christians that Jesus is truth, that God um, has communicated through Christ truth to us. And also, uh, we all have the understanding that God's Word um, is His revealed Word to us. And the question becomes, um, is God able to communicate absolute truth or that which is true through His Word to us in a way that's effective? And I think that we would all, obviously, around this table, we would say, yes, that's true. Uh, but what uh, what is it about God's Word that gives us the confidence to know that, yes, this is God's truth, uh, and, yes, this is the uh, foundation of my presuppositions from a Christian worldview.
3: So it's just out there in the open. Out there in the okay. open. Whoever wants to Great. take it.
2: Um, or you can reform the question if you want. But just basically, what? what how is the Bible, um, why do we build our presuppositions off what God has revealed? How, where does our confidence come from that the Bible is the Word of God and that it's true?
0: It is true. And it says it's the word of God.
2: Okay. So it says it about itself.
0: God says it, says that about himself in the Bible.
2: Yeah. So can you explain that a little bit? Because I think that's important for, uh, it's important for Christians to think about uh, because we, I think a lot of times we assume things uh, that we assume that the Bible is true, but when we get pressed on it a little bit, we're not sure how to, uh, how to explain where my confidence lies or why I'm so confident other than. Um, well, I hear it every Sunday in church, right? So, how does the how does the Christian begin to formulate um, that res- the response? Um, wh- how are you so confident in God's word is truth?
0: I'll just say this. Um, I know Tom has something to say too, but first of all, I'm pretty ignorant, so not too ignorant, but kind of ignorant. So, if I say something wrong now, don't. Don't kill me five years down the road when I'm a pastor of a church uh, and I'm in front of presbytery. We're all learning. But uh, God seeks worshipers to worship Him in spirit and in truth, says in John um, and other places. But let's see. John 4 22 to 4, 24 or so, when he's talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And, um, because God is seeking worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth, he must tell us truth that we may worship him. If we do not have truth about God, we do not know how to worship God or who is God, what to worship about him. So it's foundational to any understanding of, of life, in my opinion, that you know God exists. And because you know God exists, uh know he speaks. Because he does exist, he does speak. Mm-hmm. Because he deserves worship, he's not going to create a world and humans in his image and leave them without a clue. Because he deserves worship, it would be ungodly, as it were, of him to not claim all worship from it. Even the inanimate things of creation, I don't know the text, maybe one of you guys, in the Psalms somewhere. Psalm 19. uh, Worship him.
4: Yeah, and and, uh, piggybacking off of that, um, as best as I can recall, um, the, the writers of the Westminster Confession of Faith touched on... Um, the majesty, the internal majesty of the word of God. Um, and, and I think what they were grabbing there was the idea that the word of God speaks beyond human understanding, not apart from, but beyond. It takes us to the heights of things that we ourselves could not have arrived at. Um, if you will, God invites us up into his superior wisdom. Um, they would also point to the unity of the scriptures. So the scriptures were not all written uh, at one time and not all by one pen. But they all tell one clear and co- coherent story of God's plan from eternity past, uh, for the redemption of sinners. The, the unity of the scriptures from beginning to end testify to the fact that they are not derived from, uh, from men. They, they don't come from humanity, uh, but are in fact the word of God. They also have a self-attestation. And what we mean by that is that throughout the scriptures, um, again and again and in many ways, the scriptures say of themselves, that they are the word of God. And thinking of uh, a very common passage that's often referenced here, and it should be, um, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God. And here at the seminary, we have the privilege of learning um, the biblical languages a little bit and starting to learn how to go to some of that, uh, the original language, to understand the word in in its most pure and deepest sense. And the word there for breathed, um, is actually, it's one word. Breathed out by God is one Greek word, which means you, you can't misunderstand its meaning and sort of add something in. Um, it's very clear that that's the claim, uh, of Scripture that's been written down for us by the Apostle Paul. And secondly, about that, it's interesting because it, it literally means, um, and this is sort of medical terminology, if you will, that the word is expired. Um, to to inhale and to exhale is the image here, uh, to inspire, to breathe in and to breathe out. And the idea here gives scripture, I think, the utmost intimacy with God himself by saying that the word of God is literally being breathed out by God himself. It is not man's interpretation of spiritual things, but it is, is the very word of God. Uh The last thing here. And the most important is the inward testimony of the Holy Spirit. Um, And I won't comment long on that now, but ultimately all of the evidence uh, in the world is not enough uh, because of our spiritual depravity. But the inward work of God's Holy Spirit and his mercy is what illumines the word to us and gives us the ability to receive it rightly as it truly is um, rather than to continue to reject it. Josh.
0: Well, I was just going to comment on expired and inspired so you could in a sense say that scripture is expired but <laughs> <You that's could. laughs> not exactly what
4: it sounds a little <laughs> funny at first yes
0: <laughs> but inspiration has to do with the holy spirit's work with the authors of scripture as they wrote so that they truly wrote the very word of god even as the human author wrote the word down so they were the ones inspired so scripture in that sense is inspired but like you were saying, it's just kind of funny to think about. Scripture, in a sense, is inspired. Yeah.
1: So in, just in a world where there's just so many truth claims coming from all types of uh, people, all different types of beliefs, um, you probably touched on it a, a little bit. Uh, inward work of the Holy Spirit attesting to the Scriptures, that the Scriptures are uh, self-attesting that there uh, is a God. But... What sets the Bible apart, if I could just play devil's advocate, what sets the Bible apart for maybe other holy books, like say the, the Quran where, where there's passages that say uh, God maybe spoke to Muhammad saying that here is the word of God I'm um, delivering to you. How can we know that the, the words in the holy Bible scripture um, is truly the word and, and, the, and the words that we find in other holy books are not?
0: Just a quick uh, comment. Could we just call you Bob's advocate? Let's just say there's <laughs> Muhammad <laughs> Bob out there. Yeah. All right. Go ahead, someone else. This little advocate on a
3: That's Christian a, podcast. I, All right. I, could, I think I could take that. I'm, I'm by no means an expert on the Quran or anything. But my understanding, and uh, I know we we talked a little about the scripture self attestation. And I think what we're essentially saying is, and people could. Say we are arguing in a circle. The Bible is true because it is the word of God, and God says it's true. It says it right here, you know, on this page, and and that's very dissatisfying. Um, but in the ultimate analysis, really all reasoning ends up being circular. Um, you know, if I if I argue that this table that we're sitting at is five feet long, and I get out a ruler well, if you wanted to be, you know, crass and, and, and uh, not crass, but like just challenge, is that a legitimate ruler? Well, maybe we could take this back to uh, the place where they keep the standard rules, you know, and we compare it to that. Well, how do we know that their standard is the right standard? You know, mm-hmm. maybe it's the fifth one that they have yeah. made. Well, we don't have access to that. And essentially we are, we'll saying that, is right because that is the standard. Mm-hmm. And what we are saying is that this revelation that God has given us is his standard on himself. It is a rule of life and godliness, and that is what God has decided to give us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be very dissatisfying for people who demand that God submit to their system of reasoning. You know, But I think it would be good to just challenge those people um, one, you know, read the Bible with an open mind, and instead of saying, does this conform to my standards of reality, just you know, pay attention to, well, what does this have to say about sin and about God's revelation of himself? Um, and, uh, and really, I think what a person will find is that there isn't a book out there that makes these astronomical claims that the Bible does. And is as cohesive as it is throughout the same, you know, unified message throughout over that great span of time. And Tom was touching mm-hmm. on some of these things, um, and and claims that its its central figure, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. You know, uh, something that is is something that took place in history, and you know, we have uh, Jerome who was by no means sympathetic to the Christian faith, but he ultimately had to conclude that Jesus did rise from the dead and he did not know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the Quran makes some claims about Muhammad. Um, but ultimately those are not, uh, you know, that astronomical of a claim. He was not claiming to be God. He did not claim to rise from the dead. Um, and some of the claims that he has made regarding the tablets, well, we don't we don't have those those tablets anymore. Mm-hmm.
0: Another little thing to throw out there, maybe for a future podcast, is the idea of um, the only way that God could be a God who reveals Himself; therefore, there can only be one true God who reveals Himself, is if that God is the God of the Christian Bible, because of. His unique characteristics, including his being triune, the 3 in one of God, which makes him a God who communicates and who loves, etc. So that might be an interesting topic mm-hmm. as far as like the Quran, where you have Allah, who's one God, who's just one person, and he's not a personal God. He's kind of like the clockmaker who winds the thing up and sets it off, and people just hope... To be in His good graces at the end of the at the end of their life, and they may or may not make it into a place of paradise. And um, who knows? He he doesn't care. Um, so the Christian God is far different than any other God.
2: Yeah, I think that what you're getting at too is um, something we can talk about in a future podcast. But it's uh, tied into um, what sets the Bible apart is what makes Christianity itself unique from all other religions, and it's the God of the Bible for sure. Um, he sets himself apart as the standard by which all their standards must be measured. So he, he makes that claim himself in his word. Um, but also there's the idea um, of grace and, um, Jesus Christ as the, as the savior and the sacrifice, um, and living the life that we could never live. There's, there's those elements of Christianity that set Christianity apart. Um, and those are the things that the Bible attests to as well, that we can possibly talk about at some point.
1: And Josh, you were saying last where God has to be uh, triune or, or has to communicate through Christ, that Christ is absolutely essential. And I'd rather have you explain it than have me uh, botch it.
0: Well, I would still botch it, but maybe not as bad <laughs> as you. <laughs> Jesus Christ is, is God the Son. And God created the world with an intent, of glorifying himself through the Son. Without a Redeemer who can be both God and man in one person, but without a, a God who is both, uh, takes on a human body and interacts with his creation personally, there is no revelation. There's no way for God to reveal himself unless he is, um, comes to us in, in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit works to illumine that word to us. The triune God is the God who communicates yep. through Jesus Christ the truth.
2: And and we've talked uh, about how God has communicated to us through Christ. And we had his word um, that we were talking about. It's been um, God's word has expired. Right. It's, <laughs> it's exhaled. It's uh, it's breathed out by God through Human authors. So some of the uh, podcasts that will, that we'll, uh, in some of the future podcasts, we'll get into how God has worked through human authors in the cohesiveness of Scripture and what their understanding was of what they were writing and what had already been uh, revealed through the Old Testament authors uh, and things like that. So we'll get into that a little bit more as far as how God actually uh, revealed himself through human authors. But one of the things that I think is important for us to touch on also is uh, because we're human, uh, we have a problem when we come to uh, a text like God's Word that is communicating to us uh, an ultimate truth. And that problem is sin. Uh, so how does sin... Our indwelling sin affect uh, our understanding of God's word, or how we uh, how we take things from God's word. How does that uh, how does that hinder us, or is it even a problem that we should worry about?
4: We're
0: well, fi- we're fighting. Over yeah, we, we're fighting with the microphone. Go first. You know, you, that's like uh, the opposite. Fighting. It's that's like, like a- bait
4: on a on a fishing line <laughs> when you're with seminary students. Uh, yeah. we, we've all got some good thoughts there, but um, you know, I, I would just go back to the uh, opening narrative of Scripture where God um, provided uh, lavishly for Adam and for Eve. Um, He told them not just not to eat of the one tree. He told them to eat of all the other trees. And I think we miss that uh, a lot of times. We, We end up looking at it in a very narrow and negative way as if God was um, restricting, in some way, when in fact he was lavishing, and from the very beginning, man was created to live in a dependent relationship on God. We were made to depend on His revelation to us to give us the fullness of life, to bring us into um, human thriving, to use more modern terms. And what you see in the in the Genesis chapter three is that what happened in the heart of man was that there was a point when man made a decision to reject God's revelation in favor of his own perception of reality and in pursuit of what he wrongly believed to be a higher knowledge, a more full understanding, and thereby a more full human existence. That lie is pervasive, and I believe, uh, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, I believe that is the foundation behind all of the wrong presuppositions and ideas that we have, and there are many today. And I think that our chief problem in coming to the Bible is that we come to the Bible uh, standing as a judge over it yeah. rather than standing in submission, allowing our own hearts to be judged by it. And so those are my at least initial thoughts. What do you guys think? Well,
0: what I think is is tainted by sin, so take it
3: for what it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, we each are, are marred by our own self-interest, and we are going to come to the Bible, as well as any text, seeking our own love of under—or our own interest, the things that we want it to say. And we've got to acknowledge that up front. And ultimately— our interpretation interpretive process needs to be being cured of that. You know, it's like we, we reach a wall in the scriptures and, you know, it go, really goes back to our sinful presuppositions and replacing those with the presuppositions God wants us to have. Um, and I believe that's something that, um, McCartney and Clayton, the authors of let the reader understand have called the hermeneutical spiral. mm mm-hmm. It's like you're going up a spiral. And in order to keep moving up, you might need to move to the other side in your understanding. Um, You had some presuppositions about man's free will and God's sovereignty. And then those end up needing to be adjusted in order for you to understand Romans 9, for example. So how would... uh... I think
2: another, another thing to think about in the midst of this, uh, this part of the discussion is, uh, how would we, uh, what would be the right way to come to the proper understanding of God's word? Uh, if we know we have sin, we have sinful presuppositions. Um, what is the end goal as far as how would we know that we have actually arrived at, uh, at what is truth? And, um, kind of what I'm getting at here is, um, where does God's intention for the text, uh, come into play?
0: Uh, it's kind of verse, got a couple of verses to think of, and Tom would know where the first John reference is. is when he when Jesus comes back, we will see him as he is, we will be as he is. We will see him as. He is. But um, Romans one is the classical classic text that we might go to to talk about our abilities, and um, it says. Without uh, exception, all humans are born in that state apart from the spirit of God, which we can see here in Romans or First Corinthians two. Um, we'll just say verse fourteen here. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. And um, and then we see in James one eighteen that. <clears throat> When God speaks and he works by his spirit in people, that is how he changes us so that we start to begin to stop suppressing truth a little bit more. Not that mm-hmm. we ever completely mm-hmm. stop on the, until we die, um, but then when we, when Jesus comes back, if Tom could read, do you have that First John reference?
4: You know, I was looking at a different one. But well, I think it it's has something to do three. with
0: when we see him, we will be as he is, and he is the Lord God of
4: truth. First so. John 3 2. Right. I can read it if you'd like it. Yeah. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is.
0: And I think that kind of gets to the idea of the hermeneutical spiral. Knowing that we are fallible, sinful creatures, but also knowing that God is conforming us to Christ, who is truth, we should examine our presuppositions constantly in light of God's Word as we...
3: One thing I was going to throw out there was, um, you know, just kind of back to your question. Um, <clears throat> you know, if if we are tainted by sin, you know, I mean, we have talked about this hum- hermeneutical spiral... since. What's that? Since yeah, no, since no, since if. we are tainted <laughs> we're, we're, by we're sinners here, we're gonna have to get yeah. that part out. I've <laughs> got I that venial grace and perfection. <laughs> He's only been here for five months. So. I <laughs> meant since in the if sense. I think he just I got think baptized there is, uh... into the Roman
0: Catholic Church <laughs> just just now. Uh, okay. don't talk anymore. You okay. might commit a venial sin. <laughs> okay, well, uh, joking. I'm joking. Since,
3: okay, so since since we yeah. are sinners,
0: since we are sinners. Or we have
3: sin. <laughs> sin. Yep. Yes. Um, then uh, the question is. How, in, and we do come to the scriptures, so if we need to have the right presupposition in order to have the right understanding, how do we know we're interpreting anything in the Bible correctly? Mm-hmm. Like, is it is it really just, I mean, we can say God has communicated absolute truth, but how do we know that we are able to receive that rightly and not just make a bunch of, gook out mm-hmm. especially in view of the fact that there's so many uh, denominations in yep. the world
2: yeah I think that's a really good question because also uh, what, so what what as a Christian uh, especially here in America where we have so many different resources available so many different um, teachers online uh, resources online churches all around us uh, how do we begin to discern whether or not what we're hearing? is actually the truth of God, even though, um, they're all preaching or teaching from the same Bible, um, even within the Christian scope. Uh, how do we know that when two people say two different things, what's our method uh, for a, for uh, coming to an understanding of what actually is truth? Right. Uh, especially when we recognize, like you said, that, uh, that we're sinners and we have our own presuppositions that we're bringing to the text. So part of that is what we will touch on in future episodes as we continue to go through this book. Let the reader understand. We'll kind of dig into a little bit what is the proper hermeneutic or the proper method. Uh, to understand Scripture, and then we can hold that up against some of the teachings that we're hearing or what are, what the preachers are saying uh, or what different uh, Christian literature is saying, right, and be able to know, uh, okay, this is truth or this doesn't really coincide with what Scripture actually says, even though it might be the, the text itself right so that's that's one thing that we'll continue to touch on yeah.
4: and I, and i think that's why um the reformers and in the westminster confession it says that the final authority for all matters of life and faith for the christian is the word of god um because anybody can stand up and say you know i have an authoritative message uh you know you need to believe what i have to say about this and they can even use scripture to try to substantiate that message however if that's not actually what scripture is teaching You do not need to submit to that teaching. You do not need to receive it. And in fact, you should reject it. It would be the right thing to do, uh, the most God-honoring thing to do to reject that teaching. Um, So understanding the the necessity that we don't rely on teachers as the end in themselves, but rely on them to the extent that they faithfully uh, hold out and exegete the word of God. And so a good teacher is not just one who can communicate clearly and winsomely, those are helpful qualities, but a good teacher is one who shows you from the Word of God itself that this is, in fact, what God has conveyed, what God has communicated uh, to us for our edification. And that's one of the reasons that it's important to dig in to the original languages if you are going to be um, a regular teacher of God's Word. Uh, it's just important to get down to that lowest level.
2: Uh, and one of the things that, uh, that Clayton and McCartney touch on is the ethical uh, responsibility for someone that's going to be teaching God's word and how it's unethical, uh, to preach or teach something or to, to convey a a meaning of a text. That's not actually what the author intended. Uh, so they kind of talk about how even, uh, apart from God and his word, even in the secular realm, if I was to write something with an intent and you took that to mean something completely different and then went ahead and with my name attached to it said, well, this is what he meant to say. And it's not actually what I meant. That's unethical. It's dishonest. And that's what uh, Tom was talking about. If we're going to be God-honoring in how we handle his text, it means we need to try to figure out uh, the proper way to get as close as we can to what he actually intended the text to mean. And that's kind of some of the stuff that we'll talk about.
0: Speaking of intent, I thought that was a very good point that they brought up in the book that helps uh, direct how you interpret the Bible. Because if God intended something when he wrote the words of Scripture, um, he intended to accomplish something by them, is it okay to proof text using texts for your own means?
2: Before we go too much further, explain proof texting.
0: Proof texting is taking a text. Uh, Let me just say this. Proof texting can be done if you take the text in context. But proof texting often is done by taking the text out of its context, which context gets to the intent. Um, the the intent of God when he penned those, or had those words penned has something to do with how you look at the text and interpret what it means. So if you take a text, um, yeah, the classic example is uh, that um, uh, Judas, you know, he went out and hanged himself. The guy flips through the Bible to find the proof text on how to live today. So he kind of flips through his Bible and puts his finger down. Judas went out and hanged himself. Flips through his Bible again and puts his finger down. Go thou and do likewise. That's proof texting, taking the text out of context. And that's a silly example that's probably overused, but it's a good example. And uh, God's intent, really, by understanding God intended something, you you should probably be searching to see what is it that God intended to say, not what is it that I would like to say?
4: And I I think that's a really good point because it's easy for us to come to the Bible uh, with an agenda and to use it toward our own desires, our own ends. However, I think that the agenda that God has set for us to have is to come under or come in submission to uh, His agenda, His will, His desires, His plans, uh, and so I think it's just really important that um, as far as the ethical uh, the ethical uh, dy- dynamics on this, I, I think that argument is a very, very um, compelling one, even for the non-Christian who, um, who maybe adopts some of the higher critical, if you're familiar with that language, um, views of Scripture and is, is sort of questioning its authority, questioning whether or not it can be taken as a whole, it's interesting because uh, if that same person who might present an argument to say, well, the Bible's not trustworthy, you know, you can't take it for what it means. If I were to take the, that person's words from any other portion of their life and tell someone an entirely different meaning by what they had communicated, I'm sure that they would be bothered by that. They would feel like I had done something wrong to them. And yet that's the very that idea is the very thing that so many do to God's words when it comes to His Holy Scriptures. And I think that that's an ethical concern that even the non-Christian in the common grace that God has extended to all of us can recognize. I think one of the
3: things that you see done in literature is there's this idea that, you know, if I were to take Tom's words and I were to change them to, to suit my purposes or or just, you know, not necessarily think about Tom, but think about what I want to prove and then use it that way then because tom is alive and he's here to defend himself that is viewed as wrong but since we are so removed from the biblical authors by time i think people just assume that it's impossible to sin against somebody who died several thousands mm-hmm. of years ago but really i think we should have the same ethical standards for the text as we do with with any the words of any person today you know yeah. and
2: i think so Many people, as they study the Bible, would be surprised um, that when you take, like Josh was talking about, when you learn how to study a a passage of Scripture in context, um, it's actually, um, we're more able than we might think uh, to come to some conclusions on what the original authors actually intended for us to get out of the text. Um, And I think that maybe there's a lack there in um, how to actually, how to properly study the Bible. Uh, probably hasn't been taught as well as it should have been or should be uh, so that that, so that it becomes overwhelming for someone to try to understand what it actually means and their default then um, and th- that we all uh, probably can, can look at our past and say, I've, I've been through this, but our default becomes what Josh was talking about where I open the Bible and I say, well, what does this have to say for me today, right here, right now? And we don't take it in context. But uh, one of the things that we're learning uh, is that it is the the context Drives the intent, right? It helps us understand what that is.
0: Well, yeah, I was just going to comment on Tom's comment of this. In essence, we're bearing false witness against God when mm-hmm. we take yeah. the Bible out of context. Yep. And related to context, context is immediate, and it kind of goes outward to encompass the whole of Scripture. So the whole of Scripture has a context that the rest of Scripture needs. It, it does fit into, and our yep. understanding of Scripture needs to the all of our paradigms as we come to. Scripture. Changeable, to some degree. If we see what we believe the scripture is saying contradicts what the scripture is saying somewhere else. So
2: if if it is a if it's a if a if it's a difficulty for us as Christians to uh, to come to the Bible and take things in context and uh, try to figure out what the intent is, or let me let me ask it this way: How do we help uh, the the Christian that is saying? you know, I come to God's word and I, and I believe that it's true and I believe that his intent is what is true, but I, it's hard for me to get to that point. It's hard for me to understand what that intent is. I don't understand this, this context that you're talking about. It seems so overwhelming. Um, What are some, some advice, uh, some, some things that we could offer to help that person?
0: Well, one thing I would suggest is go to church, go to a church that preaches the Bible faithfully. And um, go to a church that has elders who do shepherd the flock and ask them, ask them. Don't take our word for it. You should be in church. Um, We're not your advice givers. We're just playing along here. But the other thing I would say uh, in a practical way is um, start with the gospels, start with some narratives. Um, There's going to be a lot of stuff in there you don't get. Why would God send the Israelites into Canaan and wipe out all these people, men, women, and children? That seems pretty harsh. But narratives are pretty straightforward. When you get into some of Paul's writings, even the Apostle Peter said, are difficult to understand. And I think it's, it's really a wise thing to seek mature Christian discipleship.
4: In addition to that, um, and, and totally agreeing, I think it's helpful to realize that God has spoken. Uh, God cannot be benefited by us. In other words, he has no lack in himself. The fact that he has spoken in history is an act of mercy. Um, we can offer nothing to God that he's right now desperate for. Uh, he has all sufficiency in himself. And so it's God's intention that you understand as his beloved child. Uh, God has spoken not because he needs you to do something for him, but because his interest is that you re uh, understand his word. And so my first encouragement to someone who's saying that would be pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open the word of God to you and you can pray that with great confidence knowing that that is God's will. It is God's will that his children understand his word. That's why he has spoken uh, for their edification, for their joy, for their progress in the faith, for their maturity for their sanctification, for their hope and comfort and encouragement and correction um, so that they would have right doctrine, that they would have their minds renewed after the truth of God and not the patterns of this world. And so that would be my first encouragement. The second one would be um, to be a regular uh, student of the Word. Um, part of the reason that the Bible can feel very abstract and unfamiliar is because it is unfamiliar. Uh, because we've made it, we've been unfamiliar with it. Um, and so just being in the Word daily and really reading through, not at random, but reading through a whole letter or a whole book um, over the course of a week or two, and really asking good questions about what's the overall message here? Um, what what are some of the big themes that are happening here? What are some major verses that maybe are grabbing on to the the summary of what this book or letter is about What you'll find is that when you study the Bible in a less abstract way, you find that its message is very, uh, very much more clear um, and more applicable to the real needs of your life and the situations that you face.
2: All right. Yeah, I think um, an encouragement from all of that that I think gives us great encouragement is uh, that uh, as a believer, if you're a believer in in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and, and Uh, You are a Christian. Your standing before God uh, is not determined by uh, how deep of an understanding you have of His Word. Your standing before God is uh, on the basis of your faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, So while it is a, it can be a a difficult uh, journey at times to try to study out God's Word and it requires uh, knowing a proper Uh, methods for understanding his word. It requires prayer. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit. And God doesn't promise that that's going to happen overnight. It is a journey. It's, it's a sanctifying process. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, it's part of the, the, uh, privilege that we have, uh, to walk with God through this and to be sanctified, uh, as we grow in our understanding of his word. And that's where uh, we begin to grow, uh, in our walk is as we grow in our understanding of God's word. So, um, Josh, if you have uh, one last thing to say and then we'll bring this one to a close.
0: Well, I was going to say, tying right in with your comment, we have Jesus Christ, who as the Son of God, the truth, grew, so he grew in knowledge. So uh, Luke 2.52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. So he was truly human, and he truly learned from the scriptures, truly, in no way, sinning against God by bearing false witness as he interpreted. And he didn't cheat he didn't cheat by just knowing it omnisciently. He grew in, in wisdom and knowledge and in learning and in favor with God and favor with man. So it is an encouragement to us that we have a perfect, I uh, suffered in that way that he had to learn. He, he didn't, um, he didn't just come down omniscient. He was put on earth in a body where he died. He, uh, lowered himself to a degree that we can't even comprehend. And part of that was, That he learned by God's Scripture, by God's Spirit, and he did it perfectly for us. So,
1: and in the beginning, you asked, "What is truth?" And uh, that's John, eighteen thirty-eight. But that's uh, Pilate's response to what Jesus's claim is in verse thirty-seven. He says, "For this purpose I was born; for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth." And what you were saying, just Christ grew in understanding but that he also in him his very nature himself bears witness to the truth of god. Something so appreciate you joining
0: now if you'll just do. listen to the prayer. Yeah. Or actually whatever. Yeah. Post-lude. 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 All right, hey, bye
3: hey. now everybody.